the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, through the grace of God, today we'll discuss um, what it means to glorify God. Because um, <coughs> we talk about the glory of God and it seems so amorphous and we may not understand what that means. And we'll discuss some practical points as to how to give glory to God. So let's get started. So, doing something for the glory of God. You can't. Louder. I was trying to get away with doing this. Okay. So doing something for the glory of God means uh, there are several things that we have to do, and some th- uh, externally and internally. So we'll go into this. So first thing we have to do to do something for the glory of God is we have to do something good, right? So we have to do something good, and we have to do it with the right attitude, and we also, ha- also have to do it with gratitude. So we read in Ephesians 1, or Ephesians 2, excuse me, it says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So when it says we're created in Christ Jesus, that, that's um, alluding to baptism. So we're recreated, we're a new creature in Christ. We're created in, the renewed in his image and we're renewed in Christ through baptism. And so it says we are created we are his workmanship create like essentially recreated in baptism in Christ Jesus for good works. And so it it tells us that okay, we're baptized for our salvation and as a result of that, God has set before us all these works that we're supposed to complete in our life. And so we have a purpose. It, it gives us a sense of okay, God has a we have a purpose for um you know, if we think, just kind of step back and say, okay, well, maybe we have, we might think it, w- it would be nice to say, okay, well, you know, once we're baptized, then we can just go to heaven. We have no work and no struggle in this world, and we would might think that that might be really good because we would have no struggle. We would have no, you know, labor. But God did not do this. God renewed us in baptism, and then he said, okay, once you're renewed, once you have this new nature in Christ in baptism, now I have all of this work laid out for you to do for my name. And so doing something for the glory of God first means to do, to do a good work. Um, and we read in Colossians 3, St. Paul says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So to do something heartily is kind of, is, it's very, very difficult to do something heartily. Because to do something heartily means that not only are you doing it to the best of your ability, but if, if you're really doing something to the best of your ability, you plan ahead and you make sure that all the provisions are made in order for, y- for you to actually accomplish this task successfully. So it requires planning and it requires labor to do something the best. It's very easy to do something half-heartedly and it takes a lot less effort and a lot less preparation and we can kind of wing it but when we do something for God, we don't wing it. There's no winging something for God. We, when we do something for God, we do it with, you know, intention. We do it with our best efforts, and we do it with, with gratitude. So we don't wing things. We shouldn't really wing things. Um, and we read, we read about this, this very nice kind of image in the, in, um, the book of Isaiah. It says, it's a prophecy of the Messiah. It says in Isaiah 35, it says, the eyes of the, the blind will be opened. So Christ did that. The ears of the deaf shall be stopped. Right? 
the lame shall leap like a deer. It's a nice image because when, when Christ redeemed us and when Christ heals our infirmities, our sickness, he didn't just kind of just get us up to some kind of nice level that's kind of sort of acceptable. So as, as in this image, it says the lame shall leap like a deer. So it's almost, he, may, he renewed us to a, almost to a point where, where we were above what we would even expect to be. You know, like sometimes when we have an illness and we go to the doctor, like we have to have surgery, we go to the doctor, we might expect ourselves to be like 90% of where we were before or 80% of where we were before the injury, right? Like if we have, you know, if we were playing sports and we, you know, tear an Achilles or whatever, we might hope to be 90% of where we were before. But what does this prophecy say? It says the lame shall leap like a deer. Like there's almost, like, almost above where we were before. So you see that when God does something, he doesn't do it. He does it to the highest level possible, to the, to the greatest level. And we should also follow suit. When, he, when, when we do something, we should do it to the highest level, the highest quality possible, as if we're doing it for the Lord and not for man. And so that's, that's one aspect of when we, do some, when we are trying to glorify God. We do a good work, and we do it to the best of our ability. So there are, some there are many examples in the scripture of people who offering the best for God and also people not doing, offering their best for God. So just some quick examples. So we have, a, we have um, this very famous quote in Malachi of a suboptimal offering. It says, and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? So it's very convicting because it's very easy to, you know, put our best effort and work because we know that, okay, there's some relationship to my, my financial success or my career based on my level of, of effort. But in the, sp in the spiritual life, when we're putting our effort in serving God or we're, we're talking about, you know, serving, our, uh, serving each other, we some, it's very easy to put that on the back burner and kind of give our leftover energy as opposed to giving our best energy and our and our most um, productive effort and time toward the spiritual things, um, which, you know, when we think about it, if we put our best, whatever we put our best effort into something, that's our priority, right? So if we put our best effort in our work, then our work is our highest priority. If we put our best effort in our spiritual life and serving others, then, we, then we're showing, we're demonstrating our values by where we put not only our time, but our best effort. Another example of, um, you know, doing, uh, this is actually an example of doing a good work, but not having the right attitude. So Mary and Martha, this very famous story. So Martha did a good work, right? She was serving, and she was, you know, that's really good. That's great, right? But then what happened? She did not have a good attitude. So, so then what happened, it got to the point to where she was actually accusing Christ of, of not caring, and how oftentimes do we feel like we feel that way? We do something for God, and we feel something's not going right, and then we say, instead of, you know, having this heart of gratitude and having the right attitude while we're serving God, we say, God, why are you making this so difficult, or why are you allowing this to be so difficult, while I'm trying to serve you? And so that that you know, when the circumstances in our service is not optimum, or we don't feel it's optimum or or like ideal, then we may begin to accuse God just as, uh, as Martha did. So can, qu quick question, can we, uh, can we glorify God 
Can we do a good work without glorifying God? We can? Okay, can you give me an example? Yeah, so we can do a good work without glorifying God, right? So like we, we talk about these nonprofit organizations and they do this huge you know, humanitarian efforts to feed the poor and the hungry and they may be atheists, right? They deny the existence of God. So they could do a good work, but then completely have God separated and completely disconnected from that. Um, and so it's important to keep in mind that just because we're doing a good work doesn't mean we're, that we're glorifying God. Any questions so far? So first, first kind of stipulation to do something for the glory of God, we do a good work with right attitude and with gratitude. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there are general good works that are that are laid out in scripture. For example, like feed the poor, um, you know, clothe the naked, give water to the, you know, those who don't have water, et cetera, right? Like visit the poor, visit the, the poor, those who are in prison, visit those, um, you know, who are sick. So there are general commandments that God has given us. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Those are general things, right? But then f as far as what God has prepared for us specifically, that's something that is a lot more difficult, right? But... If we follow God in the ways in which we know that he's outlaid for us, he will make clear the specific details of what that looks like for us. So we follow what we know, and he'll reveal to us what we don't know. Does that make sense, sort of? So we read the scripture. He says, do this, do this, do this. We start following it, and he'll start guiding us as to the specific details of the, of, for us. You know what I mean? Like the way, specific ways in which we should serve and the specific works we should serve. You know, based on our talents and based on what we're zealous for, you know, and what we like. Does that make sense? But we should, we should, it starts off by faith and by following what he has outlaid for us, for all of us, you know. And once we start, I don't know, like, once we start serving in different capacities and doing different things, we'll realize, okay, well, this is, you know, this is more in tune of where my talents are and where I think he's guiding me, so I'll start doing this specifically, you know? But that doesn't mean we neglect all the other things as well, you know? So it's kind of a complicated answer. Does that make sense? But we start off with knowing and following what he's outlaid for us, um, and then the specific details. And, that, and the same is true for, our, for his will for us as well, just in general. Like, should I marry this person? Should I be a monastic? So like first we start following what we know to be true for all of us, and then he'll outlay the details of his will, of where he wants us to go in our life, you know, after, you know. But we start off by faith, trusting that he's going to guide us based on what he's already outlaid for all of us. Okay, so do something for the glory of God, meaning, uh, uh, start first starting with, we do good work with the right attitude. The second aspect that's really crucial, and it's very difficult for us who have our health, and for, for us who, um, you know, have things going, we feel that things are going well, is relying on God's help. So doing a good work with the right attitude while relying on God's help. So Christ reminds us, he says, 
Uh, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So Mb Yusuf, so this talk is based on a on uh, something that Mb Yusuf gave many many years ago, um, and uh, he said something that was very striking to me. He said, "God is not glorified by how active or energetic I am." So he said, "God is not glorified by how active or energetic I am in my service." He says, because he says, if I'm active, then it may be, I may, uh, my intentions may be incorrect, right? And I may be doing it under my own strength, and I may, may be trying to get glory for myself. But he said, God is glorified to the extent or to the degree by which I rely on him to do the work. So he says, God is glorified according to how much I rely on his help. So if I'm, so before I, even just reading the scripture, before I read the scripture, do I ask God to help me understand the scripture and to lighten my mind? Because if I'm not, maybe I'm just trying to use my, my intellect and use, using my own you know, understanding that's, that's far from perfect and far from the will of God, that could be far from the will of God, to try to understand the scripture, and I may be led astray. That's just a simple example. But when we're talking about other services or other ways in which we're trying to serve God, we should be doing it relying on his strength, relying on his help, relying on his wisdom. So, you know, even when we are talking about, you know, trying to witness to someone at work or trying to witness to our neighbors, before we undergo anything, anything, especially something of that sort, ministering, we should absolutely ask God for help because we know that apart from him we'll do nothing. And if anything, we're going to do more harm than good. It just reminds me always of an example. I think several of us have kids in here. So you have a young child. They go play in the mud. They come back. The mud's all over the house. It's a disaster. Total mess everywhere. And they try to clean themselves up. And what do they do? They get the, sp they get the clean sponge, and they just spread the mess everywhere, right? And then they... They make the sponge dirty. They make everything more messy, right? But they're trying to clean things up. And that's us trying to do things, relying on ourselves. We will make things worse. If we try to do things on our own, we'll make things worse. So when we're doing something for the glory of God, we should be doing it with the right, doing a good work with the right attitude, with gratitude, while relying on God's help. And the Lord Christ said this to St. Paul. He said, my strength is perfected in weakness. So, so St. Paul gloried in his weakness because he knew that God would work powerfully in his, in his weakness because he would be relying on God. Um, and this would also, while we're relying on God's help, this will protect us from several kind of pitfalls. So one pitfall would be that we would, um, we would take glory for ourselves. If we're, if we're relying on ourselves, on our own talents, on our gifts, if we're not relying on God, then if, if it's even remotely successful, or it could even be unsuccessful, we would say, oh, well, look how fantastic this is. This is such a great, acceptable sacrifice to God and take glory for ourselves. And then we're completely removing God from the picture. This would not be glorifying God. And I, I think something that maybe is common to all of us is that when we see someone who's very talented, who has musical ability, or is eloquent, or what have you, or is really good with the kids, or just talented in, in any which way, we would just admire the talent and just leave it at that. But we shouldn't just admire somebody's talent and just leave it at that, because then we're just looking at that person and maybe honoring that person to some degree, 
but we're completely forgetting that God is the giver of the gift and God is the giver of the talent. We should glorify God when we see the talent of that person, you know? Like, for example, if I, f if I see, you know, if I see a, a brilliant scientist and I say, well, that person, you know, if I'm very prideful and I'm comparing and I'm egotistical and I'm relying on myself, I may say, oh, well, that person is so talented, like, and then maybe fall into despair and uh, sadness because look I'm not I'm not as gifted as this person right or I could say you know I could be relying on God for my you know and be gr um, be grateful for the glory or for the gift that God has given me and I see this person who has this awesome talent that I don't have say thank God that there are people that are smarter than me that can figure out things better than I can so we can come up with new therapies and new treatments for all these different diseases and all these different problems that we have in the world you see? So the perspective changes. If we're relying on God, we'll be free from, from looking at ourselves. If, but if we're relying on ourselves, we're going to be ridden with insecurity and difficulty, and God will be far from us because he says he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Also, St. Paul exemplifies this idea of relying on God very well in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, and my speech and preaching were, were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And he was the most eloquent. And he was the most brilliant. And he even said, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, because he was relying on God. Third aspect of doing something for the glory of God is, first we said, what? Doing, doing a good work for, with the right attitude and with gratitude. Secondly, doing it while relying on God's help. Third, doing that even when it does not make sense to me. And that's really important because if we're doing something for the glory, if we're doing something that only makes sense to us, then we're relying on our human wisdom. And so then it goes back to we're still relying on ourselves and our human wisdom. But we should do something for the glory of God even when it does not make sense to me. So th this, is, this idea is exemplified very well in the book of Romans about Abraham. It says, Abraham, who, contrary to hope, in hope believes that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. So it says, he, he will ha you will have descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore. That's the promise that God gave Abraham. But, it, but what was the problem? And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, uh, being al al already dead since he, he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. So he didn't look at the external cir circumstances and human wisdom and say, okay, well, God says my, ch my descendants are going to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore, but I'm old and my wife is very old and there's no, there's no way this is actually going to happen, you know, with, based on human wisdom. But it says he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. So he was, that's why he's the father of faith, because he did not waver at the promise of God looking how, at how impossible this, this was. But he followed God's path because he knew that God is able to work above and beyond his understanding. And so even when he offered, when he was going to offer, sac uh, offer uh, Isaac as a sacrifice, what did he do? What does the scripture says, say? It says, he did not doubt that even if he offered Isaac as a sacrifice, that God would not raise him from the dead. That's how strong his faith was. 
even though perhaps the resurrection of the dead wasn't even clear way back then. But he knew that God was above him, and he knew he was loving and powerful, and he was able to accomplish what he had what he had said he would accomplish. So when we do something for the glory of God, what is it? We have to do first what? Yeah, so we, we do a good work with gratitude and the right attitude. Okay, secondly, we rely on God's help. Okay, and then third, yeah, so we do it even when it doesn't make sense. And we, and we look at, there are many examples in the scripture of the disciples doing something, like even today with the gospel, you know, they said, sit down in groups of 50. Well, you know, like Abuna was saying in the sermon, well, why make them all sit down? Like, what, you know, I mean, just more work, and they're tired, and it's, it's very hot. We can all relate to how hot it can be outside, right? And they were not in a very, you know, plush forest, you know, where there's lots of water everywhere, and there's lots of shade, and I'm sure there, I mean, it's 25,000, you know, 5,000 men. It's like 20,000 20, people probably, I mean, how many kids were there? Like, can you imagine how logistically that would be difficult? I mean, just trying to get us to organize here, you know, there are a few hundred of us trying to get our kids in line, and, you know, you can imagine how difficult that would be, right? And this is like under ideal circumstances with air conditioning for a few hours. They were with him for several days. They were with him for three days. But they obeyed, and they, they said, okay, well, let's sit on groups of 50 and just get organized, and then God performed the miracle. Um, another example, when they did something when it doesn't make sense, when, when Christ said, uh, told, he told St. Peter, launch out into the deep. But Lord, we'd been laboring all night and we caught nothing. But at your word, I will do it, right? I will obey, right? And even though it was completely contrary to his intuition as a fisherman, he's a fisherman, this is his trade, this is what he knows, right? But he said, no, although this does not make any sense to me, I'm going to obey you because I know you're the master, so he launched out into the deep, and he was able to catch fish, more fish than, they could, than the nets could contain, or, or the nets could miraculously contain more than perhaps what they could have contained otherwise. But, and it was, the, it was the improper time. This was not the right time for the, them to, to catch the fish. The, ca the fish are caught more often at night than, in the mor than when the sun is, is blaring because the, the fish tend to stay you know, kind of in the cooler part of the water. So when the sun is out, the, the fish try to, you know, oftentimes stay deeper. So... Although their experience and their intuition and their expertise said, said one thing, they said, no, we will do it, we will obey, we will do this good work, we're going to rely on you to deliver. And what happened? We have this incredible miracle that, that, that Christ has performed for all of us, as Abuna said, for all generations to, to continue to learn from and to benefit from. Any questions or comments so far? No? Okay. So, so this is something that I think is very important for us to ask. So why does God ask us to glorify him? So if you didn't listen to his graces, his eminence's sermon, then you probably don't know. So, so why, does, why does God ask us to glorify him? So if, if, if we have someone who loves attention, we may call that person like narcissistic, right? And they're like an egomaniac. And then we may say, oh, well, I mean, it, it seems incongruous to God, right? So then how do, we, how do we rectify those? Like if a person does this and wants glory and honor and reverence, then we would say like that person has some psychiatric issue, right? But then when God does it, we know that God is perfect. So then how, how do we rectify those? So 
The answer is in St. Cyril Liturgy, so, which we don't pray very often. But here's what it says. So the priest says, let us give thanks to the Lord, and the people say it is meet and right. And then Abuna says, meet and right, meet and right, meet and right. For truly it is fitting and right and holy and becoming and profitable to our souls, bodies, and spirits. And then, it, and then go down. To praise you, hymn you, bless you, serve you, worship you, glorify you, and thank, uh, thank you and glorify you. So it's this idea that God is not benefited, God is not increased because we're glorifying him. It's, he's doing it for our benefit because he understands that when we see his glory and when we see him and we're glorifying him, it is profitable for us. It's for our good. It's not for God's good. It's not just so, you know, it's not like in the human way, like getting glory, like we would think that's, uh, that's negative. But when we talk about the glory of God, God does it for us so that we would see him. What better thing can God give us than himself? Right? And that's what he did with the incarnation. I mean, he could give us everything. He gave us all the creation. We see the creation is a, is a huge blessing for us and allows us to live and see his glory. But to see him and to see his love and his mercy and his compassion and his forgiveness and his power, that benefits us. And we're, we're blessed beyond measure. And his grace gave the, gave the example of... So we're at, now it's time for Christmas vacation, right? Or not Christmas vacation, Christmas. Summer vacation, right? I want the cold weather, that's why I'm thinking Christmas. So summer vacation, right? So when we go on summer vacation, do we go to like a dreary place that's, you know, like not, that's kind of like disgusting and like kind of gross? No. We go to a place that like takes our breath away, right? So we go to Hawaii. We may go to Europe. We try to go to a place that has this beautiful scene because... When we see this beautiful scene, we feel joy and we feel peace and we feel refreshment by seeing this beautiful thing, like the beautiful beach, for example, right? So the same, so his grace said this is kind of an, an, a, like an example of when we look at God. When we look at God, we see the glory of God. It's like that to the nth degree. And we're renewed and we're restored and we're empowered to, to do his will when we see him and when we glorify him. So it's profitable for our souls, bodies, and spirits. And so we glorify God, of course, not because God is self-centered. Okay. So this is a beautiful example that his grace gave um, as, to, as to kind of the effect of seeing the glory of God. So there are several examples of seeing the glory of God and like what, how it, the effect was seen in the people. So we see it you know, many times in the Old Testament, like the very famous um, story of, or the revelation of I Isaiah seeing the glory of God in Isaiah 6, um, and the effect that profound effect that it had on him. But his grave, grace gave this example uh, of St. Peter. And I'm, I'm not sure if I discussed this here before or not, but um, so St. Peter, so, so the Mount Transfiguration, so Christ p took Peter, James, and John, and he went, went up into the mountain, right? And then he was shown in his glory, right? And then what did Peter say? What did Peter say? He said, Lord, it is good for us to be, it is good for us to be here. Like he, his heart was so full of the majesty and the glory of what he was seeing. He said, let's build a tabernacle for you, for you, Elijah and James, so we can just sit here a while. Like we could be here a while. Because it was, his, th their hearts were so full of 
joy and and just seeing the glory of God, they said, "Let's stay here a while, right?" So this is so this was this was during Christ's time on Earth, right? So I don't know exactly what year that was, maybe 28 A.D., 29 A.D., sometime during Christ's ministry, right? During the last three years of his life. So this is Saint Peter. In, in Second Epistle of Peter. So this epistle was written 66, 67 AD, right? This was actually right before St. Peter was martyred. St. Peter mentions the, the Mount of Transfiguration in this epistle that was written about 35 or so years after this incident, right? So St. Peter saw the Transfiguration maybe 29, 30 AD, right? This epistle was written about 67 AD, so 35, 37 years later, okay? This is what St. Peter says. It says, but were, this is us, this is him, James, and John, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God, he, Christ, received from God the Father, honor and glory, when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. So this event had a profound effect on him. This epistle, this actually, this chapter, St. Peter actually says that Christ has made clear to me that I'm going to t put off this tent, meaning I'm going to die. I'm going to be martyred. So St. Peter in this chapter says, I know I'm going to be martyred. He's quite old here. He's, he's in his probably the late 70s. Okay, and he did not think about his martyrdom. He was not worried about his martyrdom. He was filled with the glory of God even back then from, from this event that happened decades and decades before. This is the effect of the glory of God on him, that it had, had a profound effect on him decades later. And so we see how that benefited him and that empowered him not to be scared of martyrdom, even though he was about 75 years old at this point. And it kind of contrasts with, you know, when we hear the story of a synaxarium and they say, oh, this person was, you know, elderly and they did not want to deny the Lord Christ. But the, the, those who were torturing him did not have, you know, any um, respect for his age, but they had their way with him and they tortured them, right? And, you know, when, when somebody's a little bit older, we, we, some of us may have older family members. They're not, you know, as we get older, we're not able to move as well. We're not able to see as well. We become hard of hearing. Our memory isn't quite what it used to be. Like, you kind of see, like, there's a kind of a fading, right? And a weakening of the faculties and, like, an older person. But this is St. Peter at this stage of his life where he, he sees his, you know, he's, he knows that he's older and he's going to be martyred. But, th but his, his heart was like youthful and enlivened because of the glory that he had seen on the mountain. So we see that the glory of God, like even, and, and it reminds me of this verse in 2 Corinthians, St. Paul says, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So even though, his, even though he knew his outward man was perishing and he knew he'd be martyred and he knew he was advanced in age, his heart was enlivened because of the glory that he had seen in, seen in Christ so many decades before. And this is the blessing of glorifying God and worshiping him, is that we're renewed inside. 
And so this is encouragement for us to always try to glorify God following the practical steps that we outlaid. Also, how much time do we have? We have like two more minutes, right? Because I think last time I went over. I don't want to go over this time. Two minutes? minute and a half. Okay. Um, so another thing, too, is that not only do we behold the glory of God and we're, we're enlivened, so to speak, for lack of a better word, but God also gives us his glory. So it says, and this is what Christ says to God the Father, it says, and the glory which you gave me, I have given to them. And our church very profoundly teaches us this. For example, we're start to, we start to St. Mary's Fast tomorrow, and we're honoring and revering her, and, th- and we're revering her not because of her own glory. It's the glory that God has imparted to her, right? So we're not just honoring just a, just a person that, like, had virtues. Where, yes, the per- of course she's, like, the, a magnificent level of virtues, right? But we're honoring her because God honored her, right? And this is the, this is the promise that God has given us, that when we humble ourselves, he will exalt us. Right? And we, we partake of his glory. We become partakers of his glory, partakers of the divine nature. Right? When we glorify him, when we glorify him, we, we become one with him. And as we become one with him, then we'll be glorified with him. And it, it just kind of the analogy for this would be that, you know, when you have, if you, let's say you have a, a king and he, and he marries, you know, a poor. Um, a poor girl, that poor girl has no glory of her own, but when she's united to the king, the king's glory becomes her glory, right? And so it's the same, th- it's kind of the analogy for us, is that when we're united to Christ, when we glorify him, then we'll be glorified with him. So in summary, how to glorify God. And so first, we do a good work with the right attitude and gratitude. Second, we, we do that with, while relying on God's help. And we do it even when it doesn't make sense to me. And I think we'll have to finish. Any questions? Okay, glory be to God forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Thank you, O Lord, for your great love for us and allowing us to partake of your holy body and precious blood. Thank you for the blessing of allowing us to glorify you even though we're unworthy and we have short attention spans and we're so distracted by so many things. Lord, help us and teach us to glorify you in all that we do, knowing that this is, this is how we're saved, this is how we, we increase and how we're filled. Through the intercession of St. Mary, St. Paul, and all your saints, make us worthy to pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one in Christ Jesus our Lord. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.